Good afternoon, good afternoon, and thank you, thank you everybody for joining the Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest podcast. I'm your host, David Rabior. Check me out at www.DetroitBuyHoldInvest.com, where all of your real estate investor needs will be fulfilled. It's been a great day. Let's get out of this intro and get right into it. This week is a very, very very particular and special week because I'm going to do some topics that, you know, well, at least one topic that everybody seems to always want to talk to me about. And I get very enthusiastic about these type of things because investors and their success really as a buy and hold investor is so dependent on this one thing. And this one thing is how to find and vet those tenants that you want to place so desperately in your property and how to make that work, how to figure out who the right tenant is, how to make sure that you don't pick the wrong tenant. And a lot of people have made this mistake time and time again and put the wrong person in and then went on to regret it, particularly around 2019 and 20 uh, when the COVID uh, quote-unquote pandemic came and uh, tenants were then informed that if they didn't pay the rent, there was no recourse for that. And so a lot of them, because they were told that there was uh, this Sarah money coming in where landlords were paid for back rent and a few months in advance in some cases, these tenants found out, oh, I don't have to pay rent. All I have to do is say that I was affected by COVID and I don't have to pay rent now. And there's nothing anyone can do. They can't evict me. Um, On the other side of the fence, you know, homeowners that were holding properties with loans, they weren't getting foreclosed on and there was nothing anybody could really do. So everything went to a complete stop. All these tenants started pretending like they they couldn't uh, survive and, and they had no money and their whole life was affected by COVID, which in some cases was absolutely not the truth. And in some cases it was the truth. And really who, you know, who's there to decide that? Well, when the rent's not paid, it's going to be the court. And I'm going to tell you from experience, if you can avoid the court process, you're going to want to do that by any means possible. Because by the time that you, you know, file, uh, you know, a 30 day notice to uh, take your property back or, you know, the, they call it for a demand for possession. Sorry. It's been a long day. We're coming off a 70 plus degree day in February. And now today, February 28th, it is like 30 degrees and it's blowing like 30 miles an hour, 40 mile an hour gusts. We had just nasty thunderstorms overnight last night with lightning and and heavy wind. And it goes from 70, 72 degrees, which was the highest and warmest day ever in the history of the metro detroit area and now today we wake up to 34 40 mile an hour winds and the temperature is 30 or 31 degrees and there's like flurries and the whole thing is just a hot mess and people woke up from their slumber yesterday with this warm weather and uh, i'm one of them you know i woke up today and i'm thinking okay today's gonna be another great day with sun and and everything and it's just gray and flurries and whatever so apologize for tripping over my words but let's get back into this real quick um the worst thing you can do is go through an an eviction, especially now, Um, you know, post COVID, it's not as bad. I mean, there was one tenant, it took me 18 months to evict them. They stopped paying me like right in the beginning of 2020. Uh, I think it was March 20th of 2020 when the state of Michigan uh, called for the shutdown. And then shortly to follow, there was all these uh, essential, non-essential positions where real estate agents were not essential, but everything else 
was essential. So if you were a contractor, you were deemed essential. If you were an appraiser, you were essential. If you were a title person, you were essential. If you were a lender, you were essential. The only person who was not essential and allowed to go out and operate were agents. For whatever reason, they decided that it was dumb. Uh, but, you know, it was a pandemic and, you know, some people had to sit home. And in exchange for that, they gave all of us all of this like unemployment money, which you collected it. And almost everybody a year and a half, two years later, got letters saying that they had to pay it all back. And it was a whole mess. And the state was a complete nightmare. Unemployment was an absolute nightmare. The Sarah program was an absolute nightmare. But we're on the other side of it. And, you know, the eviction times are not taking a year, a year and a half anymore. But I just had a guy reach out to me yesterday um, that he purchased a home for me uh, through, and I was on the buy side. He purchased a home back in August of 2023. And when he took possession, the landlord and the agent that represented said property owner produced false documents that led us to believe that the house was rented by a long-term, long-term tenant and he took possession of the home and the tenant never paid rent once. And, uh, you know, he reached out to me about it and, and we tried to work out a cash for keys agreement. We tried to be civil with this person. We tried to, you know, uh, do whatever we could to like negotiate this with them. And and he got a property management company. That's absolutely, they're good and they know what they're doing. And they work with an attorney that specializes in evictions and that attorney, uh, you know, tried to finagle that whole situation. It didn't work. They went through the court process. It was postponed a couple of times and now it took six full months to evict this tenant. The tenant is just now, you know, been evicted. And now the guy has to go in there and turn the house over. And it's like $11,500 to get the house in shape to be rented again. Now he got a really great deal and there's a lot of equity in the house, but you know, when he purchased this house, there was no intention for him to have to go through this. He wanted to buy this house and keep the tenant and start making the money and everything. And unfortunately, you know, now there's going to be, you know, a lawsuit about it and people are going to get sued and they're going to lose. And the agent's probably going to get in trouble for not disclosing, but she claims she has no idea uh, about it, which is hard to believe, but Long story short, you don't want to get involved in the eviction process if you don't need to. So the most important thing that you can do, going back to why I started this show after this rambling uh, tangent I just went on, which I'm sure you all enjoy, um, you just don't want you don't want to go through this eviction stuff. So the best way to go for it and get involved in putting the right people in your property. So you don't have to worry about going through all this crap and dealing with this hostile person who now has held your, your house hostage and is telling you, you can't come in and you can't do this and you can't do that. Um, the eviction process is something that when you pull the trigger on that and you hire an attorney, like that person is for sure, absolutely getting evicted. It's just a matter of time, but we want to avoid that. So this is how we kind of do that. So so you have to think in terms of reality. And I'm always talking about being realistic. I'm always talking about, you know, thinking things through and and being, you know, as hyper-focused as you can on doing things right the first time so that you can save yourself problems in the in the end or in the middle, you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with like buying the right house, picking the right neighborhood, making sure that you spend the money to renovate that house or do certain repairs to that house to make it be super comfortable. Make sure that you go through the rental inspection process, not only for section eight, and that, that's going to be probably our next show, how to place a section eight and what that process is. But you have to go through this, the Detroit certificate of compliance process, which means you have to have a rental inspection. And if you have section eight, you can use that 
uh, in place of the actual rental inspection. Uh, but now it used to be free for the inspection and it used to be free to use that inspection, uh, in order to, you know, put towards your CFC and then you do your lead compliance inspection and all that good stuff. And then eventually you get your CFC and it's good for three years. Now they're charging, I think it's $77. They've just come up with this fee that, you know, if you want to use your, your section eight inspection, um, you have to pay $77, which is a complete money grab. And it's total, you know, bonehead decision and another example of how Detroit just has no logic or whatever in a lot of ways. But this is every major municipality or city in the country. They just do dumb stuff and they operate horribly. They can't even keep their budget straight. They their departments, you know, building departments, their rental inspection departments, their, you know, ordinance departments. It's It's all just run by people. They're understaffed. Sometimes you get in a city that they just absolutely are your enemy for some reason. I don't understand. And then sometimes you're in cities that are severely understaffed and they just can't be efficient or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. The way to like be successful is buying a house, making sure it's super safe, making sure that you get your rental uh, compliance done, whether it be the CFC through Detroit or just a rental inspection process through, you know, regular city. Like some of them can be hard, like the city of Warren can be hard, but there's a lot of things changing in Warren. There's a new mayor, there's new, you know, city council people. They've gotten rid of a lot of the old mentality stuff. And hopefully now that they're doing these town halls and they're talking to residents or talking to landlords, they're kind of getting an idea for what they've been kind of doing wrong. Uh, and, and they're going to take steps to change that because ultimately every area of Warren South of 696 is primarily a rental area. I mean, without landlords, they got nothing. No one's buying there. The, you know, the houses are now a hundred to like 125,000 in 2018. They're 55, 60 grand. It makes no sense, but COVID and the market and all of these things that took place made the market because of a shortage of inventory go up. But, you know, picking the right tenant is the way after you get your house, you pick the right area, you do the repairs that you need to do, you get your property rental certified, and now you're marketing this property for rent. And some landlords want to go about that on their own and they want to, uh, you know, put their own ads up and they want to place their own tenants and stuff, which can be a challenge if you're not from here. And I have a couple of people who are trying to do that and they're leaning on me to help them, which I don't mind doing, but I am extremely busy. So my availability is not always going to be there, you know, but they're, they're able to, you know, private landlords are able to, uh, market on Craigslist and Facebook marketplace and put their stuff on Zillow. And then if you have section eight tenants, you're going to put it on affordablehousing.com. And then these tenants are out here and they're looking and there's a shortage of inventory for the retail buyer. There's a shortage of inventory for landlords trying to buy rental properties. And there's a extreme shortage of inventory for people to rent. But lately, especially in the winter, there's more inventory than there normally is. So tenants become a lot more selective and your property may not be um, the property, the property that they want, you know, they're shopping around. If they have a, an opportunity to look at three or four houses, they're going to pick the one they like, and that's fine. And when it gets into the warmer time of the year, like they're lucky to find one and they're going to take whatever they can find. And that's where you have to make sure that you don't take, um, the motivation of that potential tenant and how excited they are to move in. Uh, you don't take that for granted and think, oh, well, they must be good and, and they got to be good. They're coming up with the money and, you know, they want to move in right away. And they told me the last place they stayed, they were there for 14 years or whatever. That can all be BS. And there's really only a few ways for you to be successful when you're vetting the tenants 
And these are my suggestions. And you can go ahead and write them down or, you know, tattoo them on my forehead. I don't care what you do, but you need to take these things to heart because I've been doing this a long time. And I've gone through all of these bad experiences and I've gone through a lot of good experiences with these tenants. And this is what I do. The first things first, when, you know, a lot of these property management companies, they don't even want to show the property unless somebody is applying uh, and they've paid money first. Well, you're you're scaring off like 50 to 80% of every potential tenant by doing that. So you just can't do that. You have to make your house ready. You have to make it available. And you either have to figure out a way that you're going to market it and show it yourself, or you have to hire like an agent to go out there and open the door for people. And what I recommend is, you know, when you do that and you get to the point where you have your stuff listed all across whatever formats that you decide, um, the key to it is, you know, picking up the phone when the tenants first call you, you know, cause they're going to call you and it's become annoying too. You're going to blow your phone up. If you're trying to do it yourself, they're going to blow your phone up all hours of the day and night. So I suggest that you get yourself a Google voice number or something like that. And <clears throat> that way you can flip that number on do not disturb as they say, like an iPhone, um, you can flip that number on and off and you can keep it on during the times that you want to answer the phone and the times that you don't want to be bothered. Make sure that your voicemail says, you know, thank you for calling. Someone will return your call within 24 hours and make sure you hold yourself to that because these people are going to call every single place they think they can see. They're going to go see whatever ones they want to see uh, as fast as they can. And they're going to pick one really quickly if they're motivated and you're not going to get your hands on them. And the ones that, you know, are picky and selective, like they're just not really going to get any place to live. Uh, and they're, and they're going to run out of time. And if they're on a voucher, they don't have time to waste. So they're going to have to get into something, but you're going to want to make sure you put the listing out there before you put the listing out there. You want to make sure the house is all good and you get high quality photos so that when you market it, the photos make someone look at it and say, Hey, I really want to go see that house. It looks awesome. And I can, you know, tell by the bedrooms that will fit my stuff. And it has a basement and it has a garage or maybe it doesn't or whatever. And it sees all these amenities. They see all these amenities that, um, you know, in the photos and they're high quality photos and they're attractive because I see so many listings for rentals. They have like one photo of the front of the house. And nobody comes to look at it because they don't know. Maybe they've gone through 15, 20 houses and they all suck, you know, and, and now they're just like, well, if I can't see the inside, I'm not wasting my time because these people are wasting their time, taking time off work or whatever. They're wasting gas in their car. They're driving all over town and, you know, they get annoyed just like we do when we keep getting inundated with all these bums that want to rent from us. And then we see that they, you know, have 10 out of 12 things we don't want to see. They got 10 of them and we don't want to rent to them. They're wasting our time too. But, you know, if you have high quality photos and you market it on all of the formats that you have available as far as real estate sites and you are, uh, you know, present and available to, you know, return phone calls or answer the phone when it rings, you're going to find people that are, you know, they're ready to rent, they're ready to look. And you got to, you know, ask some preliminary questions like, do you have a job? How long have you been at your job? Um, do you know what your credit score is? Um, how, you know, how many jobs have you had in the last five years? Um, you know, how much income do you make? Do you have W2s that you can show me? Do you have weekly pay stubs for at least like the last four weeks? You know, like you want to ask questions that basically prove that the person has the ability to pay and you don't want to even consider someone who doesn't make at least three times the monthly rent, you know, because just use basic math. You know, if somebody's making $500 a week, right, at their job full time, 
you're only going to sign a lease with one person and maybe you sign a lease with two people. And if you do, like you have to vet them both. You can't rent to someone who says, you know, me and my boyfriend are going to live there and we both make good money. Well, unless you put the boyfriend and the girlfriend on the lease and they both provide you documents to prove that they both make the money that you need. Like you can't believe anything anyone says. This is a legally binding contract and the lease protects the tenant from you as much as it's the other way around. And there's terms and they have to abide by the terms and so do you. And if they don't, then you get to evict them. If you don't, then they can withhold their rent, put in an escrow, refuse to pay you, and you can't evict them. And when they go into court against you, if they can prove that, you know, you're not a good landlord or you're not providing safe and affordable, you know, uh, housing that meets all the parameters of like the city ordinances and whatever, then you can get yourself in a whole world of stuff too. And it, it's annoying. And, and tenants try that when they get volatile. But, you know, we'll move on to the next portion of it is, you know, you you kind of make some preliminary uh, questions that you want to ask. And when they call, you ask them, you know, how long have you been at your job? How many jobs have you had in the last five years? Can you give me four weeks pay stubs? And and you have to verify that those are real because a lot of them are, are giving fake pay stubs these days and they're easy to spot. Um, and if you're not able to, uh, you know, decipher that, you really do need to hire a property manager who deals with this all the time. You also want to make sure that, um, the tenant can have a lower credit score. You know, tenants generally do have low credit scores like 580, you know, but when you run their credit report, when you get down to that point, you want to see like, do they not have, do they not have a good credit score because they never had any credit and they just are afraid of credit cards? Cause a lot of people from impoverished backgrounds or, or people who don't understand how money works, they don't feel comfortable getting credit cards. You know, they, it scares them. And because of that, in this country, you have to have debt in order for you to have credit, which is ridiculous, but that's the way it works. So if they've never had any credit cards or anything, and they've had no real open lines of credit and they have a 580 score, you can't really hold it against them. Now, if you open up you know, their credit report and it's, you know, 550 or 580. And you can see like every piece of credit they've had has been late paid or not paid at all. And particularly like in this market, <clears throat> we don't have very good public transportation. So if you see they have like a car repo or something like that, you have to really be concerned because without a car, you're pretty much dead in the water here and people got to drive you around. And that's not how adults compose themselves. And you don't want to rent to somebody who's not an adult because they're not going to act like an adult when things go wrong. And they're not going to treat you like an adult when you talk to them. And they're not going to be reasonable like an adult when you have a situation that comes up and you want to avoid that. So um, the next thing that you want to know is can they turn all of the utilities on in their name? When you look at their credit report and you see big defaults from like DT energy or consumers, you know, uh, gas or whatever, and in different places, you know, DTE does gas and electric where I live, DTE does electric and consumers energy does gas. And then when you get up North of here, consumers might do all of it. And then you got Semco and all these other companies that provide gas. So depending on the municipality that can vary, but the point is, can they, do they have, um, credit that shows that they don't have any delinquent utility balances for, uh, you know, water, uh, with a city, let's say there's a judgment against them for collections, um, you know, gas, electric, whatever you want to make sure. Can you turn all the utilities on? Okay. Now you've established to me that you like have the ability to potentially pay because I see your pay stubs and I know that you work, um, you know, 
full-time and you work at the same job and you've been there for a decent amount of time and eventually i'm going to vet you and get your w-2s for a couple of years and i'm going to i'm going to ask you for as much as i can get to see that you've been consistent in your life and i don't care if people have you know jobs where they upgrade and they get a better job or maybe they make a a parallel type of a move or whatever like all that doesn't matter to me what matters to me is are they consistently working full-time are they making a full-time income on the year and i want to see that and if they're acting like an adult and they're making money and they're, you know, they have uh, no credit, like I'll take a chance on them, no problem. And then after, you know, I could determine that they actually have the money, I, I think to myself, <clears throat> they have to have, and going back to what I was going to say, they have to make at least three times the monthly rent. Cause let's say, you know, someone makes 500 bucks a week, that's only two grand a month. If you're charging a thousand dollars a rent, you know, there's a thousand dollars left over. They're going to have probably $300 in utilities, probably more. You know, when you add in cell phone and, and uh, you know, internet and whatever and cable TV, I mean, you know, your electric bill in, is going to be $100 a month. Your gas bill is going to be, you know, 60 to 150 a month, depending on if it's the summer or the winter. And you got like your internet bill, like even the cheap stuff, still 50 bucks. Uh, cell phones, you know how much they can be. If you got a Metro PCS, I mean, it's 50 bucks, but if you got Verizon, you know, it could be a hundred dollars. So you got all that. So now you're looking at, you know, a thousand dollars rent and then, you know, let's say three fifty in utilities. And then you got another couple hundred dollars in various other bills. And then you got like 500 bucks left to your name. Right now, what if you have a car payment? You got insurance, all that stuff. And then you got to buy food. Like you can't go get a week's worth of food for a hundred bucks no more. Right. So that tenant for a thousand dollars got to make at least three grand. Like they got to have two grand left over after they pay me a thousand. So I know they can pay all their bills and at least have a thousand bucks left over to live on. You know, if not, I don't want to rent to you because I already know you're like one vehicle breakdown, one accident, one, you know, debilitating illness or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, you're like one event away from losing it and the wheels are coming off that puppy and it's over with. And then you're not gonna be able to pay me. I'm gonna have to evict you and you're not gonna have any money or any options to go anywhere else. And around and around we're going to go. And, and, and I have no choice at that point but to throw you out. You know, I'm not going to let you stay for free. And I am compassionate to a certain extent. Like, I, I, if I can keep a tenant and work with them, which I've done many times where they fell on, you know, hard times or whatever, and I made a deal with them where they'd give me what they owed me at tax time because a lot of these tenants get huge tax re- refunds, you know, 10, 15,000, 12,000. If they got kids, if it's a single mom, you know, tax time is, it's, it's hitting here. You know, it's like the lottery. So if I'm going to get, you know, some of the rent for me, I want to make sure I'm looking at all this stuff. I want to make sure I look at their criminal background. Like if they got caught smoking weed 10 years ago, I don't really care. You know, if they got a DUI 10 years ago, I really don't care. People who screw up, screw up consistently in their life. And that's been my, you know, my experience. So if I look at their criminal record and they got busted for something a long time ago, I don't really care unless it's like child molestation or rape or some violent sexual crime or, or drugs, you know, like if they, are actively dealing drugs or something like then. Yeah. Like I'm not renting to you. I don't care. You can call it whatever you want to, but as a landlord, you know, you just don't qualify. Uh, but if I'm, you know, going through this process and I'm making sure that, you know, I see their pay stubs, I see their W2, I see, you know, that they don't have any delinquent utility bills. I see that they have the ability um, in their life to be consistent in their work ethic. I see that they don't have credit that's damaged or whatever. And that, you know, even if they had one event and stuff and they got caught up, okay, fine. People mess up sometimes. 
Okay. Who am I to judge? Who am I to say that a person's not good because they fell on hard times one time, learned their lesson, paid their bills and moved on? Like, haven't we all done that? Right. Some of you could say, no, I've never done that. But for the most people, you know, they all got their hands up. Yep. I've been there too. And that's fine. Right. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how we be better and all that good stuff. So, uh, we want to make sure that they vet that way. Then when we're looking at their criminal background, if they show a consistency of, you know, being a good person, great. If they show that they've been in trouble once a long time ago, or maybe a couple times, you know, when they're kids and it's 10 years old or 20 years old or whatever, I'm not worried about that. People who screw up, screw up all the time. You would see yearly or every couple months or every two years, they begin busted for the same stuff or dumb stuff all the time. I don't care if it's felony or misdemeanor, like someone who's a screw up is a screw up and that's it. And they get put on probation. They just keep recycling back in and out of jail over and over, back on probation over and over again. And that's just the way it is. So people show consistency in their life that they get up every day and try to do the right thing and they keep their nose clean and they can, you know, show that they can pay their bills and they don't have any delinquent stuff that has any relation to me or what I need them to do, then there you go. There's your tenant. Now, some other things to consider. If you're going to rent, um, you know, right now we're talking about cash paying tenants. We're not talking about Section 8 tenants. We're talking about people who have jobs that are qualifying based on their credit and proof of employment and their amount of income that they make. So when we're qualifying these people, you know, you got to really think about when you go to market that you're going to get a whole different variety of people that are going to come and try to rent from you. If you try to rent to someone who's younger, then you have to understand that that person may still be like in party mode on the weekends. They may still have inconsistencies in their life where they like to, you know, buy things that they probably can't afford. Or maybe, you know, when they move in, they have to bust out a credit card finally for the first time and, and buy, you know, a TV because everyone needs a 70-inch TV in their first rental property, right? Like their first house they rent. They got to have fancy furniture and a nice kitchen table and a big old TV and the PS and the and the Xbox and, and all that good stuff. And some, you know, some people, they're a right now type person and they go and rack up credit or whatever, and then they become poor off that. But there's no way you can really know that. All you can do is base it on what you see before they move in. And generally, people who are responsible, that have value for, you know, getting by and being, you know, a regular human being that's just trying to get ahead, they don't usually do that stuff. And if they do, they made a mistake and you have to cross that bridge. But we're talking about the things you can do preliminarily to avoid pitfalls in the long run. And these are some things that I'd highly suggest that you consider um, when you're trying to place a tenant, you know, and, and going back market your stuff. Make sure it looks good. Photos. Make sure that the description uh, that you put up for the property is is complete and it sounds good and professional. It's not all spelling errors and whatnot. Or hire an agent or a property manager to do it for you. Make sure that you gather all the applicable documents, verify in income, look at the credit score, look at you know their criminal background and all that stuff. And if all of those things line up, you have a meeting with them in person or maybe a zoom one or over the phone or whatever. And you talk to them and you feel them out, you know, do they sound like a, a, you know, somebody who has a good attitude and, and, you know, is easy to talk to and sweet person and kind person, or is it someone who's brash? Is it someone who's like, you know, gruff or somebody who sounds like they're just miserable all the time. Like you can fill people out this way. And this is not discriminatory to figure out who is a good fit for your property. You can't openly market. You don't want to rent to, you know, uh, a female or you don't want to rent to someone under the age of something or someone who's gay or whatever, right? You, you can't do that because, you know, you can't 
you just can't do that to people in general, man. This is 2024. You got to be a human being, right? People are who they are, and it does, it's none of our business, right? As long as they're a good person, they pay their bills, and they'll be a good tenant. That's all I care about. But I do know that when I rent to younger tenants, a lot of times, particularly single moms, there's a lot of volatility in their life. You know, if they have kids and they're doing it on their own and they have a father of their children that's not contributing, it's tough on them. And, you know, they can come into financial hardship, you know, because of that. And if they do, you know, the last person to get paid is going to be you. I'm telling you that right now as a landlord, they're going to pay everything first that they need to pay their car payment. They're going to keep their internet on before they pay you. I'm telling you right now. So you got to make sure that you are articulating and crossing a point to them of what your expectations are, make them go through the old landlord boot camp to prove to you that they're a good tenant. And then when you finally do, um, you know, have that conversation, feel them out and you feel like they're a good fit for you and stuff like that, then you can talk about, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about giving you a one year term or a two year term or whatever that is. And sometimes people do five year terms. I don't recommend it. I say one year, see how it goes and then go month to month from there. Um, and then you have the ability to, you know, terminate the tenancy whenever you want after that first year and it goes on month to month, all you need is 30 days notice. So if you want to raise the rent, they don't want to do it. You can say, Hey, I, you can move now. Um, if you want to go in there and make updates and they don't want to accommodate that, you can serve them, you know, a, a demand for repossession and, and, you know, you can put them out if you want to, you know, but if you have a one-year lease, you can't do anything. You're stuck. If they're paying rent and you have a one-year lease, like you can't do anything until that lease is done because that lease protects them from you as much as it protects you from them. And they have rights as tenants. And, you know, the goal is for you to hold it a long time. And as I always say, the way to make money in this business is to keep your tenant long-term. You want to get the house, fix it up really nice, do your due diligence, put the right person in there and keep them in there for a long time. Because if you keep them in there a long time, you don't have to turn the house over. And then all this income that you're making is actually income. And then you can use that to pay down the principal if you're financing, or you can use that as a return on your investment to keep a high ROI, ROI for your cap rate to help you pay this off in your mind you know, uh, because you've already paid cash for it and put the work in. If you're a cash paying, you know, uh, landlord, you're going to want to make sure that you're seeing your money come back within five to seven years or even 10, depending on how much the property is. Sometimes you get it back faster, but that's why I always say five to seven years. You should be able to pay that property off in your own mind if you're a cash buyer within seven years, in most cases, every single time, especially now with the rents being as high as they are, you know, a three bedroom house right now for section eight is going 1300, 1400. We have one at 1390 right now. It's a, on a crawl space with a uh, garage and it's a frame house and that's 1390 or 1380. They just put the tenant in, um, which is amazing, but cash paying tenants, they might only give you 1100 or 1200 but some people, especially when you get into the um, the suburbs, you know, Section 8 isn't always an option, or maybe some tenants or some landlords don't want to do it. They don't want to deal with Section 8. They'd rather just put a cash paying tenant in there, somebody who's consistent, someone who has some, you know, uh, pride in, uh, you know, ownership type of thing, even though they're a tenant, but they have a nice house, they want to keep it nice, and they want, you know, to have the luxury of not having to pay the taxes and the insurance and, you know, do the major repairs. There's a lot of older people that are that downsize into rentals and stuff, and there's a lot of working professionals that like to be in rentals because they don't have to do anything. You know, they don't have to fix nothing. They don't have to be worried about it. All they got to do is pay rent. If there's a problem, they call the landlord and, you know, landlord comes in and takes care of that. And that's great. And everybody's got a different way they want to live their life. And that's fine. If you follow these things that I'm telling you, and you make sure that you consider um, more mature people, whether, and, and, that, and I say more mature people, like, 
If you're running to a 21-year-old kid, you should understand there's some risk there. If you're running to a 45-year-old uh, adult and you can vet that they've had a job and they've been in the same place for a long time and they show consistency in their life and they have a pretty good uh, personality when you talk to them, it's safe to assume that that person is probably going to be the better fit for you. And that's not discriminatory. They just meet your criteria more, you know, more so than a younger person. And you got to consider a more mature person is going to be somebody who more likely will be consistent, stay long-term. They're not going to be at an age where they want to bounce around in their job. They're going to be more consistent in their life just in general. And and let's be honest, you know, a lot of people like me, I'm 44. I'm a grandfather. I have a grandson. You know, a lot of people, when they get to be 45, 50 years old, they have grandkids and they become the stable uh, pillar of their family where people depend on them and, you know, they kind of go to them when they need help and they're the more mature ones. So they they have to keep it they got to hold it down for their family. They got to be 100% responsible as much as they can. And they have to be stable for everybody around them because usually the older person is going to be a dependent, you know, someone's going to be a codependent of them in some way and they're going to be responsible for people. And that's cool. Right? So these are some tips that I'm going to give you now um, that I hope that you take to heart. I hope that you write some of these things down. I hope that you consider, you know, using common sense. Like I say, be realistic, right? Use common sense. Think about what you're doing. Think about what the goal is. The goal is to hold long-term and keep your tenant. How do you do that? You do your due diligence up front. You make sure that you create an attractive marketing uh, situation for your house so people actually want to look at it. You make sure you go through all of the city inspection processes and all that stuff. You make sure that you use common sense when you look at this person to vet them based on their financial information, their credit score, uh, their criminal background check, and their credit check, all that good stuff, right? You're going to look at all that, and then you're going to look at them as a person. You know, how? Wh- who are they? You know, are they uh, a young person? Are they an older person? Do they seem to be mature? Are they professional? Are they not professional? Are they gruff and hard to deal with? Because I can tell you, like, these are things just like dating. When you go out into the, the world and you start dating, you're sitting at a table across from a woman or or maybe, you know, uh, you're a woman sitting across the table from a man and like things are coming out of their mouth and you're seeing things in their financial situation or the way that they, you know, deal with people. Uh, the way that they treat people respectfully or, you know, disrespectfully, the value they have for others. So you're sitting across the table during date night or whatever, like this is the same thing. You're getting ready to date someone long-term, except for there's going to be a contract that's not marriage. It's called a lease. And you want to make sure that when you sign on the on the dotted line and they sign too, that you feel like you've made the right decision. And if you don't make the right decision, it's going to come back to bite you. And even in that case, Dave buys property, my old company, we are in a position to buy houses from people in distress, but here at Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest, we're here to help people figure out how to deal with the good things, how to deal with the bad things, how to get through these problems, how to address them, what to do. We give the resources and referrals to people so that they can survive day after day, year after year, for as long as they like. As a landlord in Detroit, this is the Detroit Buy, Hold, Invest podcast. My name is Dave Rabior. You can visit my website at www. DetroitBuyHoldInvest.com. Call me anytime on my cell, 313-451-0448. Thanks for joining the show, everybody. Beautiful day. Tomorrow is Leap Year, February 29th. Hopefully you don't see anything bad on Leap Year because you won't be able to reflect for, what is it, four years? Anyway, everybody, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining the show. Have a great day.